Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks for hanging out for a little bit with me. This is post-game edition that I think many of you are either ignoring altogether or doing a little bit, bit of the old hate listen. <laughs> because as I'm, I'm sure most of you are Bills fans, seeing the way things unfolded on Sunday at Gillette Stadium against the Used to be one in five New England Patriots, who are now two and five after a 29 to 25 win over the Buffalo Bills, a game that the Bills should have won. And not even just saying that from them having the lead late. I mean, that adds to it, but this is a team that they should have flat out beat because they are more talented than them. They have more going for them on the offensive side of things, and they should have, even with some of their deficiencies, they should have had enough to be able to slow down the Mac Jones-led offense that has really struggled the entire season. But here we are. The Bills lose 29-25, to by far their worst loss of the season. There were plenty of warning signs last week that we talked about, even though they won uh, a 14-9 game over the New York Giants. And kind of as those warning signs indicated, when you are up against a down-bad team like the Giants were, with a scattershot offensive line that was from practice squad, off the street, uh, all backups, and then the backup quarterback, the the running back coming off a, in his first game from a high ankle sprain, like all of these different factors indicate, and a defense that has been picked apart in previous games, all of these things indicated that the Bills probably should have rolled in that game, but they struggled, and there were, there were just many warning signs, and those warning signs came to fruition in a lot of different ways in in this game against the Patriots. So we're going to get into a bunch of this stuff. It's not always going to be pleasant. Could be a little cathartic for for some of you listening, but the Bills, by any stretch, need to be a lot better than they were against New England, especially because they are in what they believe to be a Super Bowl window. But this is now a 4-3 and three team who has allowed a lot of teams to catch up to them. And... It's also kind of making you wonder if there is a distancing from the team atop the league right now, which is by all means, or at least atop the conference, which is by all means, again, the Kansas City Chiefs, who are 6-1 and one on the season. They 
now two games ahead of the Bills. I'm recording this during the Dolphins-Eagles game, so we'll see if the Bills are either one or two games behind. Right now, the, the, the Dolphins are down 17-3, to so it's looking like the Bills will still only be one game down from the Dolphins. But the Bills will be a game behind Baltimore, a game behind Jacksonville, with a loss to Jacksonville. Teams are catching them, and for them to only have one win more than the New York Jets, who is starting Zach Wilson, who they lost to, by the way, they have the same amount of wins as both Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland have a better record. Las Vegas, the team that they handled mightily a few weeks ago, is now 3-4. and four. Houston's three and three. So like the bills have let people catch up. So now they're in a situation where they need to figure some stuff out. And I think the place that this conversation absolutely has to begin is with the offense. Now I know there's a ton of stuff we can talk about on the defensive side of things, injuries, poor play, some poor play from guys that were studs in the defense previously. We can get to all of that. Maybe not even, maybe not this episode, but probably in the coming week. But when we're sitting here diagnosing what went wrong against this Patriots team, by all means, I think it starts definitively with how poor they started the game on offense again. This is now the third straight week. And I guess if you remember my analysis from the Jags game, I'm like, okay, it looks like they're close. It looks like they are they were just like a, a drop here, a missed assignment there on, uh, on the offensive line. They were just a little bit away from the uh, – from them being able to break through and actually beat Jacksonville. And they got some stuff going late in that game, which wound up becoming the start to a trend or a pattern. We're going to get to that pattern. Last week against the Giants, it was a different story, especially on film. It just looked like, again, it was disjointed the way that it was late in the year last year a bit predictable and part of me wondered whether it had to do with the uh with the absence of Dalton Kincaid last week but as we saw today against the Patriots that was not the case this is now the third straight week in which the Bills have begun their game against I'll say it an inferior opponent I know Jacksonville's 5 and 2 the Bills have more talent than the Jaguars, and they should have beaten the Jaguars if they were, if their offense was getting things going. But these last two, especially the Giants and the Patriots, these are teams that have allowed a bunch of points. And for the Bills, over these last two weeks specifically, to have only three points. Total in the two first halves against two one-win teams is unequivocally inexcusable. Now, 
I'm sure you can get to some nuance here as to how and why that happened, but it is kind of like we're we're going down a bit of a a bit of a road here, right? We have the we have the Bills starting off slow against the Jaguars. They wound up getting seven points in, in the first half. So in total, over this three-game stretch, they have ten points in the first halves of the last three games. A little bit better than than three in two games, but still not great. Especially with when what I put on on Twitter, the Bills effectively could sneeze and score thirty from weeks two through four, and now they've got ten points combined in the first halves of their last three games. That is horrible stuff, especially with the talent they have on offense. They've got a, one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Josh Allen. They've got one of the best receivers in the league in Stephon Diggs. They've got a really promising young running back in James Cook, who, again, showed promise and potential in this game against the Patriots. They've got a, a really rock-solid rookie tight end in Dalton Kincaid, who made his presence felt in a big way, for the in the biggest way today for the first time in his, in his career. But even with all that, and the offensive line has played the best it has in years. But yet something is holding the Bills back in the first halves of these games. And it's putting them so far behind the eight ball here, or so close behind the eight ball here, not not far behind. If you were far behind the eight ball, you would be able to get it work around the eight ball. But they are so far behind because of this and it makes them go into scramble mode at the end of these games and they were able to to pull it off against the giants because they were the giants and they almost did it again against the patriots it was a win that they didn't deserve today you can argue they didn't deserve the win over the giants i found it really interesting that even in this loss, defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, you know, I, I, I had to do a double take when I went back and listened to it. He said, we're a team that everybody wants to beat. We've got to stop playing down to different people. That's a bold statement when you are what your recent history indicates. And I know the Bills are talented. I, I agree that that they should have done much better in these last two games, really these last three games. But you are what your record and your past three games indicates. We are what seems to be a long way away from what they were from weeks two through four. That Miami game seems like a year ago at this point. But with how they are handling things in the early stages of game and how it almost feels like they can't figure things out. And they've also been kind of figured out to the point where they need to make some adjustments in game. And the Patriots, I thought, had a really nice game plan for them. But you can have a a nice game plan with some delayed pressures that would get into Josh Allen but you sh- you should still have some sort of counterpunch rather than going all helter-skelter at the end of the game just to try and pull it off. 
They had no business even getting close to winning that game. And I guess they deserve credit for turning things around in the fourth quarter the way that they did. But you can't sleep through three quarters of the exam or almost three quarters of the exam and pass. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can sometimes if if the, if the last 25% of the exam is weighted. <laughs> But it comes down to this disjointed feeling that was all too familiar down the stretch last season. And I thought there was a chance that they could snap out of it this year with some added talent on the offensive side, being at both the offensive line and in the playmaking positions. But here we are again. And I would argue that this feels far more damning than it did last year. Because last year, there were kind of like built-in excuses, right? Like it was Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator. It was his first time as a play caller. And he didn't know what he didn't know and what that he didn't know. That was part of it. And there was kind of a, a learning evolution as to who he would be when, when things got tough and how he would evolve, how he would pivot from, from one game plan that wasn't working or how he would try and provide a counterpunch to something that has worked against him. So he had kind of wiggle room last year. This year, he already has the year of experience. He's had success this year. Teams have defended the Bills differently the last couple of weeks. And what we have seen is just... Failed early drive after failed early drive. So this that is what I really focused on in listening to Sean McDermott and asking questions of Sean McDermott. So I asked him flat out, can he put his finger on why they have only scored 10 points in the first halves of games over the last three weeks? And he said, I think it starts with staying on schedule. Winning first down so you can stay on schedule. No, I'm sorry. That's the second. I'll, I'll get there. I wish I could tell you. I really do, McDermott said. We talk about it. We talk about being more detailed, getting into a rhythm early, playing complementary football, all three phases working together. We haven't been able to get into a good rhythm in the first quarter. Let's just start there, right? So just overall, we've got to find the answers there. Even that in itself is like, we don't have the answers. We need to find the answers because this is now becoming a thing here. And that the in rhythm, getting in rhythm is a kind of a vague phrase. So I asked him later on the press conference, what does that mean? What does it mean to him? And he says, I think it starts with staying on schedule, winning first down so you can stay on schedule so you can move the chains. If you look at the Patriots offense, they did that today. They won first down. They stayed on schedule. They stayed out of third and long for the most part of the day. When you do that, you're playing two-dimensionally on offense, and that's when it gets to be hard to call a game against a two-dimensional offense. When you're on schedule, winning first downs or skipping third downs, or even putting us into a third down and short to medium at most, too many off-schedule situations. And I find I find that interesting for a few different reasons. But... When you look at now that this this is the third week that this has happened, it's gone from, okay, maybe it's just a one-off. 
the first time around to the warning sign that we talked about last week. And now it is a full-on pattern. And as of now, it is their identity. Three straight games with a full week to prepare. Like you can you can blame the Jags game on flying late all you want. They just didn't have it in the first half. From execution, from an execution standpoint. Carried over into the Giants game, carried over into the Patriots game. It's who they are right now. There's really no other way around this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So it gets to the point of, okay, what does McDermott want out of this offense? And, and he's talking about the first downs. And funny enough, against the Patriots, first downs were actually not the problem in the first half. McDermott, uh, or actually the Bills, averaged 5.6 yards per play on, on their first half first downs. And we all know that McDermott kind of subtly suggests that he would like to have a threat to run a bit more. And the Bills only ran it on those 12 first down opportunities five times, only averaged three yards per play. And when they threw it the other seven times, they averaged 7.4 yards per play. So take that for what it is. But their biggest issue in the first half was second down. They were they only averaged 1.1 yards per play on second downs. And then they were put into some bad situations on third downs. They took four different penalties on third downs and didn't face anything shorter than a third and five in the first half. So that's kind of where it gets to. But how does how does it all come together? Why are they not getting to this point where they can consistently move the chains, move the ball down the field and and be able to be this dynamic offense that they have the potential to be, that they ha- they are capable of, that they have showed earlier in the year. But there is at least this piece of it. This is now the fourth game out of 7 that the Bills offense has struggled. You can argue that they were even slow going early on against Washington. Vegas was a pretty thorough win for the offense. Miami was a thorough win for the offense. But if you are struggling on offense for over half your games, 
And one could argue that the defense kind of opened things up against the commanders en route to the 30-point the uh, showing that they had in that one. You could even chalk that up as a fifth if you wanted to. If you wanted, if if you wanted to really take a hard look at things. But still, this is who they are right now. And who they are is not good enough to win the Super Bowl at the at the current moment. Who they are as of right now looks like a borderline playoff team. Now I don't think that, but they look like that. And perception sometimes becomes reality the further down down the uh the game uh, further down the season you get. Is this a team talented enough to push for a Super Bowl on paper? Yes. Is there any justification for saying that the way they are playing right now? No. And that's why I think coming up here, we might be getting to a bit of an inflection point with the offense. And I am not the type to overreact. If you've read my stuff long enough, if you've listened to me long enough, then you know I am very measured logical. I try to be anyway. And I don't like to become a prisoner of the moment. That's not how I like to interpret things. That's not how I like to analyze things. Because I think there's always more to the other side of of the story that I want to dig deeper into as opposed to just, okay, react to one game. But the fact that this is now a pattern of behavior for the very unit that was supposed to take this season and run with it, especially with all of the injuries they have suffered on the defensive side of the ball. Since they have suffered those injuries, the offense has been just so unreliable. They got the job done down the stretch against the Giants, but they were one yard away from themselves being 0-3 over this stretch of three games, two losses to one-win teams, and three and four on the season, and well down the line in this, in this playoff race. So that's why I think we're getting to the inflection point. And I know I'm being long-winded about this, but I think it's an incredibly nuanced point to get to the to get to this part of the program. And that is that I believe they need to have some really tough conversations this week. And they don't have a lot of time to do it, but there needs to be some sort of response here. Because we are now almost halfway through the season. And is it possible that they they can turn things around um, in in the second half of the season and get back to the that stage or that that 
that operating procedure that they've had and, and get back to that those lofty goals that they had, sure, I guess it's possible. But they've got a game against the Buccaneers coming up on Thursday Night Football, which is a truncated schedule with a need to find answers, a need for a response on offense, specifically early on in the game, so that way they don't have to play catch-up at the end of the end of the game. And then after that, they have six incredibly difficult matchups over their next seven games. We are talking about the Cincinnati Bengals on the road in week nine. We are talking about the New York Jets at home, mind you. We are talking about the Eagles on the road, the Chiefs on the road, Cowboys at home, the Chargers who, you know, record isn't great, but they will play they will play you tough with the amount of talent that they have on the offensive side of things. So those are six difficult games from week nine through, I don't know, there's a bye week mix in there. So maybe a week 15, I don't know. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd be lying. It's, let me, let me get, let me get it for real here. Um, so Bill's schedule from a, Stretch from week nine through week 16. Sorry. The time for them to be passive and to just have the faith that it'll it'll turn itself around against these difficult opponents. I don't know that there is a realistic or logical reasoning behind that if there continues to be proof that this offense has something inherently wrong with it specifically early on in the games so the inflection point comes with this Thursday night game if they come out with a huge performance I think that's that's gonna solve a lot of what ails them Tampa Bay's got some solid defensive players so it's not going to be easy, but they're going to be home. I think I heard it's supposed to be a relatively good weather day. Who knows if that'll change? It is, it is a, a few days away, and you never know with Buffalo. But it is also ahead of this stretch of games, and it is also an extended rest period for this Bills team if they do not get off to a good start on offense. And if you will recall, back in 2016, the last time the Bills fired their offensive coordinator in season, it was under different terms because Rex Ryan just kind of needed a a scapegoat because he was feeling the heat a little bit, as we all remember. But it came after the Bills' loss in week two to the Jets. It was a Thursday night game, Greg Roman was out of a job on Friday. And it gave the Bills enough time to allow Anthony Lynn to set up shop as their offensive coordinator throughout the rest of the season, who also became the interim head coach by the end of things. But we're not anywhere close to to that happening. So I know I know I've I've heard like some minor rumblings from from some fans about oh it's got to be McDermott that McDermott ain't going anywhere. This is strictly a Ken Dorsey conversation. 
but it's delicate. And these are the delicate things that we have kind of thought about in the offseason. Because it wasn't like Greg Roman was, was anybody's guy. They hired Greg Roman because they thought he had a good offensive mind. It didn't work out in their minds, and, and so they moved on. Same thing with Rick Dennison after the 2017 season. Sean McDermott wound up thinking that they could do better at offensive coordinator. By the end of the year, they moved on. Rick Dennison wasn't anyone's guy. But after Brian Dable left to be the head coach of the New York Giants, Ken Dorsey, effectively handpicked by Josh Allen. And so now there is a weird sort of balancing act here between doing what is best for the organization, potentially, and making sure you do not alienate your your star quarterback who you wouldn't be in this position in the first place without him. And by in this position, I mean amidst a multi-year Super Bowl window. But the fact that they are in this Super Bowl window, or conceivably in this Super Bowl window, is reason enough to have these hard conversations in the event that this trend continues into another week with the types of games that they have coming up in November and December. It almost it feels like this Thursday could become one of the biggest in Ken Dorsey's career. Now, I asked McDermott at the press, press conference today, what is his confidence level in Ken Dorsey to turn these things around? And he said, he's confident. Confident in Ken. Did he use the word very? I don't know if he used the word very. Let me find it. Yeah, I'm confident. I'm confident in Ken. Exact quote. But the thing with confidence is that confidence isn't permanent. And with McDermott seemingly as frustrated with their early uh, early offensive woes in these last three games and trying to get things figured out over the last two weeks of preparation, and then when asked about it, says, yeah, I wish I could tell you what it is. I really do. That's got to be so frustrating for a guy that, that wants to have answers to the, to the test. And they had it for a long time. So maybe it's not, not fair to Ken Dorsey that he's backing up Brian Dable here. But they put him in this position. They put him there in in the middle of this Super Bowl window. And it's time to see how he's going to respond here. They come out flat again and lose to the Buccaneers. Something's got to change. And I've laughingly said it before, but Sean McDermott is not going to fire himself. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So I'm not at the Ken Dorsey needs to go point. That is not what this conversation is for me. This conversation to me is the one before you get to the the Bills should fire Ken Dorsey point. I'm a firm believer in, you know, allowing things to kind of reveal themselves. Get a body of work. Get, show signs of life. Show that you have the ability to adapt within a game. Within a half, within a quarter Don't stick to your same principles that worked a few weeks ago in the hopes that it's eventually going to iron itself out. So this Thursday is humongous for Ken Dorsey, at least in in my view. I don't know if the Bills are actually considering what might happen if they have a slow start again, but... Four and four through eight games with the stretch of games that they have coming up. That is an awful lot of evidence. And looking forward into the future to where they don't want 2023 to be a wasted opportunity because they were too slow to make a move. And underneath all of this is the fact that the Bills have someone in-house who has NFL play-calling experience and before becoming the scapegoat for Matt Rule in Carolina was thought to be one of the most creative young offensive minds in the game of football. And that's Joe Brady, who is now the the quarterback's coach of the Bills. He is still here. It would be a, and he has worked with Josh Allen quite a bit. But here's here's the rub. You not only have to come to a decision that 
that you would like to potentially move on from Ken Dorsey if, if things continue in this manner on Thursday night. But you also effectively need to get the, the franchise quarterback to sign off on this thing. So it's not just a clean, he's out. There are some branches here, some intertwining branches. And they have to be very careful with how they approach it. But it's it's a balance between what's best for them moving forward with what the quarterback wants. And they just have to hope that all of these things meld themselves together. So yes, humongous week. I'm sure a lot of people out there are thinking, just fire him, who cares? It's not, it's not that easy. It's really not. <laughs> they need a lot of evidence. And of course, Josh Allen is going to be like, no, that's, that's on me. I threw that terrible interception against New England or in, on the first play of the game. The, the Jets game was on him, which I probably agree. But it goes so much further than just fire Ken Dorsey. So I hope I shed some light on how and why this situation it might be coming to a real inflection point, a real focal point on Thursday night against the Buccaneers. But they just they've got to come out with a statement. Dorsey has to come out with a statement. It's really that simple because if things are stale on the offensive side of things, and you are going to need that side of the ball. If you want to win the Super Bowl, Tredavious White's out for the year. Matt Milano might be out for the year. Daquan Jones might be out for the year. Those are three of your most important defenders gone. Your two starting linebackers have minimal experience. Your run defense is struggling. You're allowing intermediate stuff that you haven't been used to allowing. And the play of your one of your starting safeties has gone down. So the defense is not going to bail out the offense anymore. The offense has to be the reason if the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl in 2023-2024, Offense has to be that reason. Josh Allen, Ken Dorsey, Stefan Diggs, they need to be the unanswerable question on the test for opposing teams. And right now, it's, it's not even close. So is it stale? Is it disjointed? Is it time for a change? That's, that's what they really need to, to come down to here. All right, some other notes from the game because you know we could we could talk about that all day, but I'd just be rehashing the same points over and over again. But yes, it is very much on my mind this week, as I'm sure it is on all of your minds. And you can read, I did a like a, a column sort of thing over at the Athletic. If you want to go check that out, by all means. Titled that it's 
that it's effectively time to start having these difficult conversations. All right. One thing on offense that stood out to me, um, Dalton Kincaid, uh, he effectively broke out eight catches for 75 yards. What I found interesting about his day, though, is the fact that uh, they only ran 12 personnel with him and Dawson Knox on 16 of their 74 plays. And that is a really low percentage from what we had been seeing previously when both guys were healthy. That's only a 21.2% clip, I believe it was. Or I, I forget it exactly the, the exact number. It's been a long day. <laughs> my, my 21.6, sorry. 21.6% of their snaps in 12 personnel. And interestingly, Kincaid was on the field for 44 total snaps. 28 of them was as the only tight end out there. So he might be eating into Dawson Knox's job a little bit here. And we'll have to see if if that continues. But Kincaid, they were targeting him a little bit further down the field. Good to see. I've said that's that's a thing that can help unlock them a bit here. And I continue to stand by that because he is a, he is an integral piece for them to become this dynamic passing attack that they want to be. So that was at least one good thing from uh, from the offensive side of things. Defensively, bit of a mess. <laughs> um, you know, they forced the turnover. Jordan Poyer forced the turnover to put the Bills basically on the doorstep of, of winning the game. And then they let Mac Jones drive the ball down the field. Got pop for a screenplay. It was a lot, a lot of underneath throws. Got beat on 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 routes, just man on man. It was it was not great. Dorian Williams wound up getting benched for Tyrell Dodson. Tyrell Dodson got benched on passing downs, where they would shift Jordan Poyer down to linebacker, put Taylor Rapp at safety, and go about it that way. I think it was on the Hunter Henry catch on their their final drive. They completely scrapped that plan, went back with Dodson on the field for every single snap at linebacker, Poyer back at safety. But Dodson is a liability in pass coverage. And the Patriots were picking on Dorian Williams in this game. Their strategy early on was was brilliant. They wanted to weaponize the aggressiveness of Dorian Williams against him. And so you saw them do a lot of side-to-side stuff, whether it be reverses or quick throws to the sidelines or, you know, just some just some misdirection things that really kind of messed with the eye discipline if, if you're a young player and you don't really have it all that well just yet. And then once they, they had them thinking side-to-side here, they would go right up the middle with their running game and got a bunch of yards that way. It was a really simple, effective means of moving the ball. And it worked to the point where they benched Dorian Williams for a player that is not as talented as him and clearly flawed as a linebacker in in pass coverage to the point where they had to drop a linebacker down from safety. I'm sorry, they had to drop a safety down from his current position down to linebacker and bring in another safety and sacrifice size. 
So it's a bit of a, a tough situation here. And the defensive, the defensive tackle room, you know, over at the athletic, I ranked the positions, potential positions of need here at the trade deadline. And defensive tackle was my easy number one for the simple fact of they don't want to be in a spot where they are without both Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver for the interim and not, or for their long-term and not have an answer. And we saw a brief preview of that. Their run defense struggled right up the middle. That is going to be something teams see moving forward here. Something that they pick on moving forward. The warning signs against the Giants were there. And the Patriots smartly took advantage of it. So lots of questions for a 4-3 and three Bills team who should not have lost to the Patriots but deserve to lose to the Patriots. Will they figure things out ahead of this Buccaneers game? They don't have much time to do it for Thursday night football. So it could be a good thing that they just turn the page immediately and get there. But there, there has to be a bit of a, of a residual effect here from how slow things have started and how these games have just kind of all followed the same script of, they can sit there and say, Oh, the, everybody's talented in this league. Everybody wants to win all of this, all of these cliches that, that we hear every single week. But the simple fact is they were more talented than all three of these teams. And they, they lost two of them and should have lost all three. So many difficult questions, many difficult conversations to be had over the next few days ahead of the Bills' eighth game of the season, Thursday night on national television against the 3-3 three and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I suppose let's get to the award section because what else is there left to say besides all that? So let's, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, start with the Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise for good reasons. And I will go with, I have to say this guy again because I thought, I thought he had a nice game again. Um, yeah, I'll go with Khalil Shakir again because... Led the uh, the third receiver options in snaps for the second straight week. I thought he really deserved it from, from what he did. Showed some good blocking out there. Saw, saw some capable pass catching, good route running. And, you know, when they needed to depend on him and they were actually moving the ball in the second half, I thought I thought he was, he was pretty solid for them. So I, I will go with him once again. And uh, next week he's, he's out. He can't, he can't win it three, three times in a row. Next up is the Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half of the game. Gosh. <laughs> there are so many. Maybe the offensive line? I don't know. Uh, Pete, learning how to deal with the blitz uh, or the delayed blitz, I think, was, was part of that. Oh, you know what? Let's give it to Dorian Williams. He was benched. It's pretty much the spirit of the award right there. If you're not playing on defense after you played it in the first half, it's Vontae Davis-y. Then we have the, jo- or the, the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up 
at all in the game. Eh, hmm. Might have to just chalk that up to... Might have to chalk that up to uh, the defensive tackles in totality. Um, they struggled as a run defense against a Patriots offensive line that is meh. Not great. Traded away some pieces, but they were getting pushed a little bit. Rectified it a bit throughout the game, but when it mattered, they got pushed again. So that's a uh, that's going to be a situation to monitor moving forward, especially with the trade deadline in mind, um, because that if they they can't afford to lose that Oliver, he is everything to that defensive tackle room right now, and he is going to play a lot of snaps when he is healthy. So keep an eye on that. And then the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. How about we go with Kincaid? Persevered through an average air yards per target of 3.26 through his first five NFL games and wound up Having a nice little game for himself. I don't have his uh, his actual air yards. They did target him closer to the line of scrimmage a couple of times, but there were a few times where he broke into the uh, the teeth of the zone defense, settled down, and was a a very open and available target for Josh Allen, and he made it work. You just had to know it was coming because Kincaid. What we saw all spring, what we saw all summer, just too talented of a player to be a basically throw it to him in the flat and let him work it out kind of guy. That needs to be a trend. And I'm broken record on this one. That needs to be a trend. Continuing on. If it needs to eat into Dawson Knox's snaps even more, so be it. Kincaid is the more talented player. More talented receiver, I should say. Blocker, not so much. Took a penalty. Receiver, not even a question for me. Kincaid is far and away the the better talent there. Okay, so those are all my awards. The Bills, four and three. Game against the Buccaneers on deck. And a lot of questions about what's going on with the offense in the first halves why they have to rush in the second halves to try and steal games as opposed to just winning them and being on the front foot the entire way. And the trend of it all happening with these slow, slow starts. So lots to come over the next few days. And we will uh, be right here with all of you. Quick week, like I said, we're going to do a uh, one of those live room podcasts, I think, on Wednesday morning. So be on the lookout for those because those are always fun. There's going to be a lot, a lot of Dorsey questions. And I'll be here for you. I promise. All right. So that'll do it for me. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. And I will catch you later. Not, not that much later, but later this week. See you then.